yo, yo, welcome to episode number 34 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. You can find me on Instagram at TheReal27Guy, on Twitter at uh, The27Guy. And yeah, welcome. Thanks for joining for another episode. I think today's episode is going to be a really interesting one, and um, I'm concerned about it being long, so I'm going to jump right into it right now. Um, I've been thinking about this one for a while, if I'm being honest. This is, I think, the fourth time that I've tried to record this, and it's hard to put everything into words that I that I want to, and so I hope that the fourth time is the charm. Um, today's episode is about investing, the world of investing, and how that corresponds fairly closely with the world of cardboard. I don't consider myself an investor in cardboard. I consider myself more of a collector, but I've certainly done my share of um, buying and selling through the years to, to fall into either category. So the way that this episode is going to go is I'm going to walk you first through my background and my um, profession um, and why I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this topic. Um, I'm then going to talk about um, hedge funds and how hedge funds relate to the world of card cardboard, specifically long, long short hedge funds. And then I'm going to talk about private equity and venture capital and how those relate. And then finally, I'm going to share some thoughts about, um, about uh, what, what I think um, about those things. And uh, I hope it's interesting. My, uh, my request is if you have uh, if you have thoughts or questions related to the world of investing and how it relates to cardboard, I'd love to hear from you. And so, uh, feel free to um, tag me on Instagram to um, ask any questions privately. Um, but as always, please like, share, and rate the podcast. I always appreciate that. I think we had five people uh, rate the podcast since last time. Um, I requested that, and that's really awesome. So thank you guys for those of you who've done that. Okay, so let me start out with my background. I want to take just a couple minutes on this. I'll try to be quick. So in 2009, I graduated with my master's degree in accounting, went off into public accounting, and hated it. Didn't have (laughs) the best experience there. Um, But in my time there, I audited a fund, a private equity fund, here in Utah, and I learned through that and through also working with several people who considered themselves investors that I really liked investing. I thought that if I was going to account for something, which doesn't always sound exciting, I might as well account for something cool. When it, uh, and I thought investments were cool. So I left uh, the world of public accounting and went into the world of fund administration and worked for almost six years for a local fund administrator um, in uh, hedge funds, mostly long short, um, but also I did some some work for some fund funds, um, for a commodity pool um, operator, for, um, and for a couple of other um, types of funds. I probably had I think about six clients in my time there, and uh, my role wasn't to make investing decisions. My role was to do the accounting for that for the for the fund managers. The thing that's interesting about that is the the fund administrator gets to see everything. They get to see all of the investment decisions and they get to, and that's what I got to do. I got to watch what the managers were doing. Um, and, and that's really interesting. Like I said, it was mostly long, short hedge funds, but, uh, some fund of funds and, um, some other different types of funds. 
the thing that I didn't get to do while I was there working for the fund admin is I didn't get to work on private equity and venture capital. And from my perspective, that felt like the way that the investment industry was going. Um, and so I, I wanted to do that. In fact, I talked to the partners of the firm and said, hey, this is something that I would be interested in doing if, if I ever get the opportunity. But that opportunity didn't appear like it was going to present itself. Um, and so when I got a call, um, from a local VC or PE fund. It's actually technically a growth stage fund, which kind of sits between venture capital and private equity. When I got the call to, to come interview to be their controller, I took that, that opportunity really seriously. And five years later, I've, uh, I've, been, working, I've been working here now. Um, I love it. I love the world of private equity and venture capital. And I really feel proud that I get to be a, be a part of it. Um, I feel grateful for the people who I work with and things that I get to learn. And, but the, the reason that I tell you all of that is I basically have about 10 or 11 years in the industry, in the alternative investment industry. And I've seen a lot of things and I hear people talk in the card community about things. And, and it makes me sort of feel sometimes like some of these things that I know might be worth sharing <clears throat> and they might be. Uh, more applicable. There might be ways that we can think about the card world and the investing world and, and why they why they compare. Um, I've had uh, many thoughts about about potentially starting a fund that is um, based on the concept of investing in cards. Some of those uh, conversations have gone further than just conceptual um, and gotten kind of. I, I guess I guess they're still conceptual, but gotten pretty far down the road. In the end, that hasn't been something that I have pursued because I've been more interested in owning the cards than um, buying the cards on behalf of a group of people. Um, fund, by the way, is a really loosely um, defined word that basically means um, a group of, a pooled group of funds from investors that are managed by a general partner. We'll talk more about those in a second. Um, but that's that's a little bit about my background. That's all I want to share on that. Okay, so first, um, let's talk about hedge funds. And I'm going to give you three minutes on those on hedge funds, and then some things that I think are interesting in when we compare to cardboard. So first, hedge fund. Like I just said, a fund is where a an investor, an investment manager, or a general partner goes out and solicits. Um, contributions from limited partners. Limited partners subscribe. They send some amount of money for most funds. Um, that, that could be a minimum of a half a million to a million dollars. Um, I've worked on funds that have, that have taken as little as 50,000, um, but I've seen you know, subscriptions as high as the tens of millions of dollars. These funds take that money and then go out and deploy it into um, typically public uh, companies. So we're talking about long, short hedge funds here. They go, they take the money, and they buy public companies the same way that you could buy public securities. They do the same thing. If they believe the company is going to go up, they buy them. If they believe that the company is going to decrease in value, then they will short that company. And shorting a company means selling it before you buy it. So if you want, believe a company is going to go up, you buy it, and then you sell it after it goes up. If you believe a company is going to go down, you sell it, and then you buy it back. Um, and we could talk. We could talk all about that. Um, in hedge funds, you see, you do see ma manipulation. Um, 
you see people try to manipulate prices on days where those prices end up being um, reported. For example, if you own a small fund and you have just a few investments, if you can make a specific investment look like it's worth 5% more by that, by, by that being the last transaction on a specific day or at the end of a month or at the end of a quarter, you can actually change the value of your, of your fund and the value that's derived to your investors or your limited partners. So let me back up a little bit and just say the way that you determine a price on a stock is you probably go to the internet and you go to Google Finance or Yahoo Finance or something and you enter in a ticker. That ticker will give a price and that price is the last sell that was actually consummated. Um, that is very similar to how we think about cards, right? The thing that's really different here is if you look at the volume of shares that are being sold in most companies a day, it's in the tens of thousands. Whereas we report on cards being sold in a similar way. People talk about them in a similar way, but they're extremely thinly traded, right? Thinly traded means they are traded far less frequently than shares of stock. So while I would argue that the value of a specific share of stock is much more easily defined. Cards are, are, are more difficult to define and far easier to manipulate. And that's largely because, or not, that's largely because of a lack of volume, but also in, also in that is there is no regulation, right? The um, public markets are regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission should do a good job of stopping people from committing fraud. Um, in the card world, you don't have that regulation. And so it's, it's really a perfect setup where there's lots of money flowing, but there isn't, um, there isn't that regulation to protect consumers. And so I think it, it's an opportunity for bad guys to come in and unfortunately make some, make some bad decisions. The thing that I'll point out is just because um, there isn't regulation, it doesn't mean that it's legal and it doesn't mean that you can't go to jail. People go to jail for things all the time when, um, when they're not regulated the same way. Um, so it's not you know, insider trading and those types of things that you hear um, in the investing world. Those aren't the only types of things that you can go to jail for. And if you do things the wrong way with basketball cards, you can absolutely go to jail. So just remember, just because there isn't regulation doesn't mean that it's legal. All right, um, company comparables in the world of long short fi um, funds is are, are, are important. And when we talk about company comps, you, you know how that relates as far as cards go. Um, when you look at a, when you look at a, um, a stock, I'm covering a lot of information here, by the way. Forgive me for, for feeling like I'm just like loading you up with lots and lots of information. It, it's a wide variety of people that I'm talking to. And some of you are like, yeah, 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 Adam, I know this, I know this. And others of you are like, wow, I don't know investing. So appreciate uh, your patience on this. Um, so as far as company comps go, if you, um, let me back up. If you look at a company and you look at its stock price, you may say, oh wow, that stock is only $5 or that stock's $100. The actual stock price doesn't matter very much. Um, there is maybe a little bit of um, 
there's a little bit of mental games going on with how much a specific um, share is, is worth. But what really matters is the company's value. And the company's value or the enterprise value is determined most simply by looking at its market cap. Its market cap is the total number of shares outstanding multiplied by the share price. And that gives you the value of a company. So when you hear people talk about, hey, Apple's worth a trillion dollars now or, or whatever, that, that is indicating what the market has determined is the value based on how much the market is willing to pay per share. You can think about the same thing when you think about um, um, cryptocurrency. Um, if you see that um, a specific bit, uh, that a Bitcoin is worth X number of dollars and you know the number of Bitcoins that exist and you can find out how the market actually values the total value of Bitcoin. That's the same thing that happens in the stock market. And um, that's important because if you are doing, if you're comparing one company to the next, what you ought to look at is what the actual, um, what the actual market cap is. Um, and that's interesting because we don't look at market caps very often in cards. We look at compared card to card comparables. Okay. Um, I think that a lot of people, actually one last thing, on, on hedge funds. Hedge funds are typically measured in terms, their performance is measured in terms of um, just a basic return number. And what that means is, I put in a million dollars at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, it's worth 1.2 million. My performance or my return is 20%. And then the next year, my 1.2 goes down to you know, 1.08, I lost 10%. That's how, and, and there's like a, there can be like an inception to date return and a year to date return. And that's usually how, how that's measured. Okay, and that's how people, it seems like to measure the value of cards too. This went up by X. Um, they think about it less in terms of like a time-weighted performance that we'll get into when we talk about PE. Um, but they think about it just in terms of how much it went up or down in a period of time. Um, okay, so the, the, last, the last thing that I want to mention before I specifically relate this to cards is the pit. The Pit was a website that I believe debuted in the late 90s. And the purpose of the Pit, and the Pit is still around, by the way. I believe it's still around. I saw something on it recently, and I haven't checked it out in a long time. But when it first came out, the Pit was all the rage. Because you could go to this website, and you could go buy in large quantities. You know, you could buy 10 PSA 9 Kobe Bryant Bowman's Best rookie cards. You can buy them like stock. You didn't have to take physical possession of the, of the cards. You could just purchase them and purchase them like you would purchase shares. And a lot of times when I talk to card guys who are, or when I talk to guys who aren't really interested in cards, but they are fascinated by the amount of money that we spend on them, they think about cards in terms of stocks. They think about like how to kind of genericize or commoditize a, a card in a way where it, be, where it takes on similar attributes to stocks. And what I see as I look out in, into the world of Instagram and I see people sort of posting things that teach you how, that, that, that show how they're thinking about cards, I think people like this idea. People want to think about cards like stocks. In fact, I saw a guy today um, who's a well-respected member of the community talking about um, a specific player um, who's retired, who he believes is going to increase in value. And what he was looking at was 
specifically PSA 9s and PSA 10s of this player. And he talked about where the prices were six months ago, where they are now, and where he believes they're going. And this sort of talk is persuasive to us because we can look back and we can see auction data. We can see what the auction data shows now. And and it's interesting, right? We like doing that. I think a lot of us do. We like seeing how things change in value, both up and down. And we like looking at it like it's a stock. And I think a lot of people are doing this right now. And a lot of entities are doing this. It's not just the pit, right? The pit um, did this. But there are some larger exchanges now that want us to look at cards like this. And I think it's really interesting. I am persuaded by um, by numbers where you see large upticks, and and um, I can I can tell that uh, in our in our current um, hobby community, I see a lot of people who are persuaded by this, and they're interested by it, and they're they're pulled into it, and and they look at themselves the same way that somebody who is day trading stocks might, or somebody who is a real investor. In, in, um, in securities and in companies might. I think there are some key differences and I'm gonna talk about some of those at the end. But before we do that, I've taken entirely too long on hedge funds. I wanna now go, go back, I wanna now talk about what I work on more today um, and, and um, that is private equity and venture capital funds. So with private equity and venture capital funds, um, you have some real differences from typical long short hedge funds. A private equity or venture capital fund um, typically is a closed end fund where you don't just make a one-time contribution, you make a commitment. And a commitment is can be some amount of, uh, over a minimum, let's call the minimum a million dollars. If you commit to a fund that you're going to pay a million dollars, then over the course of the next X number of years, that fund will reach out to you occasionally and say, hey, we're calling capital of 10% or 5%, and then it's your responsibility as the limited partner to send them that cash. And and the, that cash is delivered kind of upon request over the course of years to pay for investments or fees and expenses of the fund. And throughout time, the, the company is buying private um, private companies, um, typically. And there's all sorts of different strategies around this. But high level, the, the private equity or venture fund is purchasing large portions of these companies. Um, and, uh, and, and that becomes the portfolio, whereas the hedge fund is thought of more in terms of um, the hedge where the hedge funds are thought of more in terms of pri public um, uh, private equity is is private securities and the, the portfolio is, is entirely private then the private uh, private equity or uh, venture capital fund has opportunities as the years go by to hopefully watch these companies either go public and that's how they cash out or the company gets sold to a strategic acquirer or a couple of other different ways and so that's how that's kind of how they they make money after they then sell the company they distribute funds um, back to the limited partners and hopefully if you do really well you get a lot more money back than you than you committed to the fund um, and um, and then you feel really good about your investment um, the problem with private equity and why it's why it's really different than hedge funds one of the primary differences is 
in, in the long short hedge funds, you have a very easy way of determining value. You just look at the market. You see what something is currently being sold for. In private equity, you the comps are much more important. When I say comps, I mean the comparable companies in a specific space. Even though you can compare your company, your private company that you're looking at purchasing to a public company, they're not going to be the same. Every company has different variables. Some are, I mean, it can, things like geography, things like revenue, obviously revenue is the biggest one, things like EBITDA, things like, um, things like the, the management team and um, the market share and distribution channel and all the, there's a hundred different things that you have to look at across, um, a lot, across the company and the, in the private space to, to compare it or to, to, to value that company. And so you do your best to, to compare it to another company, but you're just not going to have, you know, you not you might not even have an identical business out there, let alone one with all the same variables. So what, what people usually do or what, what um, funds usually do to value a company in the private space is they they base it they base their value on some sort of multiple. That multiple is typically based on like revenue or something like that. So if and so like short short version of this is let's say there's a company that's similar in the public space and its revenue is hundred million dollars a year, but the market cap of that company is five hundred million dollars. Well, that would mean that people view the 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 multiple of that company's of that company as five times the revenue of that of that company. And so if it's similar in the private space, you might say, well, this private company has a, a revenue of 20 million and we're going to put its market cap or its or its uh, its value, I shouldn't say market cap, but its um, enterprise value at five times 20 million of of $100 million. And that's how we're going to value it. We're going to give you $10 million. You need funding for some reason. You know, you're looking to grow. Uh, you're short on cash. We're going to give you 10 million, and then we take you know 10% of of the company. You had a pre-money value of 100 million. Now it has a post-money value of 110, 110 million, and that's that's how private equity works. So valuation is really difficult in the world of private equity, and valuation and, com- and comparables are very difficult and very important. To, to valuing things. You can see where I'm going with this here. Um, before I get there though, I'll add that, um, actually no, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go there now. Um, I think cards in general are really hard to value. And that's gonna be one of the take, take home points of this podcast. As I look back at the last 30 years that I spent in this hobby, but in particular the last five, one thing that, I'm, that I've noticed just so strongly is that Card guys want you to believe certain things about cards. There are card guys that want you to believe that cards are worth more than they are, and there are card guys that want you to believe that cards are worth less. And it's not always for their personal gain. In some cases, it's because they're jealous that they didn't 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 buy something, or because they don't they want to prop themselves up and they want to feel better about their collection. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why people want you to believe. A certain that a card is worth X number of dollars, and um, figuring out comparables is difficult because 
while the market seems like really is quick to believe the public, the 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 sold um, items that are out there, it it uh, it's not as clear as I think people would like you to believe. And figuring that out's really hard. So while the very best information that we have is public sales and you know eBay closed items and things like that, I just I don't think it's very good. It doesn't compare to an actual market that shows what that like this the stock market that shows what it's something actually close for. And we've already identified that that's imperfect. The card market being thinly traded and easily manipulatable is much more difficult. Now, some people would have you believe that since that's the case, that everything is overvalued. I'm going to tell you that's also really not true. Um, my experience is that, especially when it comes to the forums, you can read a lot of stuff out there that is just not true. And you have to be really careful because you can find yourself, and I've, I'm not I'm not immune to this, you can find yourself buying into something that somebody tells you and they're just wrong or they're they're um, incented to do to do and say other things you know because they want to hold the value of something down that they're trying to acquire because they're trying to hold up the value of something that they have because they're trying to hurt somebody who they don't like in the hobby there's all sorts of reasons why people do what they do um, and, but but the market is often wrong and so you have to have a really good eye for these things. And it can leave you sometimes feeling pretty helpless, like you don't know what to trust. And I can tell you, I've been there before, but my experience is you've got you've to get to know people well. You've got to know, you've got to learn what you can trust and, and, and trust the signs. And you've got to do a lot of research. This is not easy. This is hard. Okay. So that is that is a little bit on the valuation and how difficult that is and how difficult market comps are. Um, I do think that when we think about the PE structure, it is sim it's more similar to cards than than the hedge fund structure for a lot of reasons. Not just that that cards are so much more thinly traded, but also because we live in a, an era in the history of cardboard where so many cards are so different. Um, and the things that you want to find values on are so rare. It's not uncommon to have a one of one or a one of 10 card that I am looking at and, and, and have to try to figure out what I think the value is. I don't look as much on comps at, at that as you would think. I do look at them and that's part of it, but it has, but, but the comps are so imperfect. You know, you could, a perfect example of this is you could have two cards that are both one of ones of a rookie and one has a sticker on an autograph on it and one has, and one is a, you know, one is just the regular rookie um, parallel. Well, there are times where the, the sticker autograph could be, could be worth as much or even more than the rookie. And then there's times where the rookie could be worth 20 times what that sticker is. It's really difficult to tell. And it has to do more with who the buyers are who are out there. Okay, that's enough about that for now. The other thing that's really interesting about this is that in PE and venture capital, there's, there's typically like a value add component that a fund performs for a company. 
when you when you go out and you buy a company, um, a lot of times those those companies that are being purchased are are sought after by more than one venture capital or PE firm, and the company that's taking the funding from the from the from the fund isn't just going to always pick the one that offers the most money or the best valuation. It seems like it seems like it, that might be the case, but in my experience, that's actually not the case. The the um, company oftentimes looks at what that fund has to offer what that that um, private equity fund has to offer and a lot of times the private equity fund will say hey listen we have a team that will add value to to your to your team and you know we have seasoned investors and people who have experience in all of these different things that your company has a need for and you can see why that would be really appealing to to a company this is similar to cards in that you might see a card that is out there that's for sale that is raw and you might say i want to get that card graded because i believe when i get that card graded that it's actually going to increase in value significantly that's true that can be the case and that's adding value to an asset that is the main way to, to add value to to an asset i can't really think of any others um except for ways that are um bad and evil and um, things that are against the the code things like um, altering a card trimming a card um, and, and things like that manipulating a card those types of value add um, um, activities are evil and wrong and bad and people who do those things um, need to stop doing them and when it's discovered that people are doing those things they need to be outed and, and found out so um, that's the value add component the last thing I'll tell you about the, the fund is that the way that performance is measured is typically a little bit different than the hedge funds in that there's two main metrics for for private equity that are most often used and those are IRR and multiple multiple is also referred to as multiple uninvested capital and MOIC um, there are other metrics, by the way, and we could get into those, but trying to stay pretty high level. The reason that you need two things is for the following. I'll, I'll share an example. If you tell me you buy something for $100 and that you sold it for $200, some people might say, well, that was clearly a great investment. But somebody who's very thoughtful might say, I don't know if that's a great investment because I don't know how long it took you. And I don't know what markets did while it took you that time. If you tell me you buy something for $100 and sell it for $200 tomorrow, I'm going to know it's a good investment. But if you tell me you bought it for $100 and sold it for $200 30 years from now, I'm not going to think that's such a good investment. So the multiple on that on that item would be a 2x. But the question is, what was your actual return? The way that you sh the way that's typically measured in private equity is with an IRR. IRR measures the performance of an item over a period of time. So in the case of buying an item for $100 and selling it for $200, if you sell it exactly one year later, you have a 100% IRR. You doubled your money, it's great. But if it takes you two years to do it, it's more like 50%. If it takes you a couple of weeks to do it, it can be a really giant number because it's an annualized number and so there's some funky stuff that happens there. But in general, if you know the IRR and the multiple, you know if something was a good investment. What you don't know is how much money was made still. So that's really the third component is what was your total gain on it. If you tell me that something um, had a gain of um, $1,000, an IRR of 30%, and a multiple of 2x, 
that tells me a complete story about a specific item. And when when we think about investments in the private equity world, that's how we measure them. And I think that's how we should measure um, what measure the value of of a card specifically too. This also gets into discounting uh, or a gross return versus a net return. Um, most of you, or some of you, might know that a net return. You think of it, you think of it being like the net catches the the, the pieces that are are um, required to gain that return in the process, and, and it leaves you with with sort of a more final number. So in this case, people typically compare the ending sales value to to find a return. But if you're a real investor, if you're really buying and selling the cards, and you're using a um, you're using a public way of selling them. You know that there's specific fees that are that are implied. There's eBay fees, PayPal fees, or if you're using a consigner, the consignment fees, and all of those need to be considered when you come up with a net return, um, a net IRR. Okay, so that's that's how that's how PE fund works, and that's how cards sort of relate to it. Um, I want to make a few that and that so I've, I've taken you through my history the hedge funds private equity funds and how these things relate to cards in a lot of ways and i'm really just skimming the surface i could spend far longer doing this and as i'm thinking out loud and and talking out loud i probably will spend more time on this going forward and maybe do a couple of other episodes but i want to leave you guys with a few important thoughts the first is that and, and again, these are all thoughts by me, but this is what my experience tells me is true. Companies create profits and cards do not. And some of you are saying, I know cards create profits. I've made money on cards. Okay, so have I. But what I mean by that is a company's job is to actually make a profit. A company has a number of expenses and has revenues. And the way that that company really works and lasts over the long term is by having a larger amount of revenue than expense and creating cash flow and um, you know having employees who go home every day being able to get their checks and um, executives that um, that profit off of the company as well and 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 the company can't take funding forever no company can take funding forever they have to become profitable at some point cards don't provide funding cards don't work Cards don't go out there and create, okay? Cards are more like artwork than they are like stock. I don't feel super comfortable with comparing cards to stock. Not just because the pit didn't succeed the way that we thought that they would 20 years ago, but because companies are different than cards. Um, having said that, I do see the appeal of, of why people use that comparison. It's just something I'm not com comfortable with, and it's not something that I believe in long term. I do not believe in the long term these cards that have huge populations of nines and tens will retain value. I believe that they will get destroyed from a value perspective. Having said that, I also believed uh, that some of the cards that have really increased in the last couple of years wouldn't have the gains that they had. So take my thoughts with a grain of salt. I can be absolutely wrong on these things. But in my experience, rarity is the most important um, quality in a specific card along with who the player is and um, unless the market continues to bring in a huge number of new collectors these cards that have populations in the thousands are at some point going to be looked after or looked past 
and people holding large quantities who want to get cash for them are going to be in a tough spot and some people are going to liquidate at values that are a lot lower. The question has to be, where does the card live in the end? Who wants to own it in the end? Where does it actually like end as, as, a, as a collectible? Um, you might think right now as I'm talking that this just says more about how I collect. You're darn right. It, it does. I'm not interested in buying stuff that is ultra easy to find and and that. But I, I really, like, I believe what I'm saying. I believe that the long term for some of these things that are commodities isn't um, isn't as good as, as it could be. So that's, that's my take on that. Um, so, again, companies create profits. Cards don't. I think, and then I, I mentioned as well that cards are more like art. Art can sure go up in value, so can cards, but it's not because they go out and they create money. Okay, both of these thoughts take me to a phrase that I um, I think I coined, actually, that has been used a lot in the hobby over the course of the last couple of years. I was asked this question when I was younger and I worked at the card shop all the time because I think people could tell that I had a real sense for analytics and numbers from when I was really young and I, I've done pretty well at this for a long time right I've been making money on cards for literally 25 years and I had people would ask me you know what should I buy what's the next big thing and my advice for people because I believe it's so difficult to predict where values are going to actually go and where, where they're going to actually end up at the end um, for a million reasons my advice for people has always been collect what you like buy what you like because even then even when the market completely tanks and everything falls apart you'll have something that you really enjoy my experience with buying what you like has been that that makes me happier it's not our job to keep up with everybody else it's not our job to have the highest gain or to have the best collection some of my favorite collections are the ones that aren't worth a whole lot of money and a lot of the people who I follow on Instagram are people who have passion for the cards and not for the financial side of it sometimes Excuse me. Sometimes that passion for the financial side really shines through, and you realize that people are really just about investments. And I think all of us get tempted by that sometimes. I know I have. I know that the money side of it has been a bigger part of it to me than the cardboard for a good percentage of my time in the hobby. But um, I think I think you can make money on it. You can obviously lose money on it. Um, but I think if you buy what you like, and you figure out how figure out whether first off whether you like cards and if you do then figure out what you want and how you want to develop your your collection that's what's really awesome and that's what i would suggest to all of you is to buy what you like all right um, the last point that i want to make and i i mentioned this earlier is that um, my experience is that understanding value is very difficult um I think that there are those who would claim that every ended item is an indicator of value. I think especially as more investment money comes into our hobby, value even becomes more difficult. And you could say, well, as long as you can sell something for X amount, that's what it's worth. And you would be right at that moment. But the reason why people buy things is buried in the great. People don't just buy things because they think they're going to go up in the immediate future. People buy things to protect investments. People sell things to protect investments. People um, people use comps in ways to, that are advantageous to them. And 
it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult to figure out the value of a given card. Um, I just can't stress that enough. And it's on every card. There's some of you who are like, well, not on this, not on that. It's really difficult. And predicting where values will go in the future is really difficult. So in the end, buy what you like. Don't be afraid to try to make money, but recognize that these things are not as simple as, as people would have you believe. And, um, and again, I'd caution you on any time that you look at a card as you would a, a common stock, recognizing that um, companies are out there with the intent to make money. And these the value of these pieces of cardboard at the end, in the very end, is just what people are willing to pay who are collectors. There will be ups and downs along along the way, but you have to ask yourself, what are people, if, if, you're, if your goal in this is to make money, your question should be, what are people really going to want to own in the end? Not what's going to go up and, and what's going to go down, but what what is somebody really going to want to own 10 years from now, five years from now? You can play the short-term game, obviously, and ride some of those bubbles, and there's nothing wrong with that. Not I, There's no judgment coming from me. If you are an investor solely in this, I have no judgment. I totally respect you. If you're a collector, no judgment. Totally respect you. But I don't want people to go out there and believe all the things that people are saying without sort of having a full understanding. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. That is um, really a summary of the world of hedge funds, private equity, venture capital, and how they relate to basketball cards. If you've got any thoughts, uh, send me your questions, send me your comments, tag me in your posts at the real 27 guy on Instagram. That's where I do 90% of my, my cardboard stuff now. Uh, if you would like me to address specific any, or any specific questions, please reach out. I'd love to hear it. Um, I, I hope you guys are doing really well out there with um, the world in the very cra crazy state that it's in. I've been in my house for weeks on end now, maybe going out once every couple of days. Um, just for a run or something like that. But I know it's a weird time. I hope that the podcast provides each of you with some um, release, you know, some relief from the, the difficult times. I hope you, if you're doing well, look for opportunities to bless the lives of others. Um, you know, and you can do that in any number of ways, but surely be kind and uh, try to make the world a better place. And until next time, happy collecting.